The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Oh, the only limits there are is the ones that you set for yourself. So stop saying that the sky is the limit. The sky is no longer the limit. If you feel that you can go beyond the, the, the sky, then do it. And remember, um, as we become adults, we take on these roles. And the one thing that we forget is our imagination. Our imagination can take us places far beyond that we can ever imagine. So remember to keep strengthening that. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Happy holidays, y'all. This week, we talked to Prince Daniels, former NFL player and author of the book, Mindfulness for the Ultimate Athlete, Mastering the Balance Between Power and Peace. Should be a fascinating conversation. Also, a special treat this week, we are talking to the coach, Kevin McNutt. And our choice words are going to be about me and coach breaking it down, chopping it up on a whole host of angles and topics. We also have the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards and more. But first, let's talk to Prince Daniels. First and foremost, uh, Prince Daniels, uh, for those of us to have a framework, how would you define mindfulness? Mm. Uh, I would define mindfulness as, just to make it very simple, uh, just being aware of the things that are going on around you, how you speak to yourself. You know, there's always internal chatter inside our mind. And so we just have to be mindful of what we're saying to ourselves, what external things are coming into us that's allowing us to be aware of the present moment um, and not judging the moment, but allowing your thoughts to just pass like water um, flowing down a stream. Wow. How did you come across this philosophy and why did it speak to you? Um, I came across this philosophy um, after I was discharged from the NFL, uh, playing with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I had three incredible years there, but I was prematurely discharged. And afterwards, you come down off of this high and now you're a civilian. You don't get the same type of treatment. You're not regaled anymore. And, and I had a self-identity crisis fell into a depression and I needed something to, to lean upon. And, um, the best thing for me to do was to look within myself and, and, and find something that, uh, that was hidden for a very long time. And so, um, I had an opportunity to go to a monastery and I got some direction while I was there and I was able to discover, you know, the jewel that was inside of me. And that's how I was able to discover this 
I got to say, Prince, you have to explain part of that a little more. Like, how, how did you stumble upon a monastery? <laughs> well, um, uh, I have two uncles who were always looking to improve themselves. And I just followed, followed in their footsteps. And it was, it was, I had an opportunity to, um, to, to spend time at a monastery in, in the United States and really find myself. So um, I would say I was fortunate enough to have two uncles that were, that, that, that were into mindfulness and meditation. And so they, they, um, they told me about it and I always wanted to visit. And so I thought the time was ripe whenever, um, I was in the NFL. Uh, I started when I was in the, in the, in the NFL because I wanted to improve my game. But little did I know after my time was over, uh, spending time at the monastery was great for my life. Mm. Wow, that, that's that's amazing. If you could talk a little bit, if you don't mind, because I think it helps for folks to understand. Can you talk about the 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 incredible like scope of your career like from college to the pros the roller coaster the ups and downs like where you went to college how you performed at college and then making it in the pros most definitely so um started off from Houston Texas A Leaf um, Southwest A Leaf a lot of people know about that uh, and I graduated from high school I didn't do well on the ACT SAT so I had a lot of scholarship offers from from big schools and um during the signing day i didn't sign with anyone and so i had uh i had to figure out what was my next step and really i did not know i was just wishing upon a star and um for the first year one of the coaches from georgia tech they came to recruit at our school uh he was coming to recruit someone else um my coach told him about me he saw one play of me and after that, invited me to Georgia Tech. Uh, went there. I talked to the coaches. They told me if I do good on and off the field, they can see about getting me a scholarship. It did not happen like that. So, one, let me say this. I got accepted to Georgia Tech with my grades because I passed the ACT, SAT afterwards. And I had a 3.4, 3.5 GPA in high school. So, I got accepted into Georgia Tech. And then from there, had an opportunity to play on the football team, be a walk-on. Um, through hard work and um, um, attrition based upon my teammates, uh, um, I was able to land a starting job at Georgia Tech from the number seventh running back to the first string running back. And I broke NCAA records uh, in Georgia Tech history for um, the leading rusher at Georgia Tech, well, the fifth leading rusher at Georgia Tech history. And from there, uh, I got drafted to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, 2006, the fourth round, 132nd pick, and I, I struggled there as well. Uh, it seems like everywhere I struggled, uh, I, I struggled on all levels in my in, in my playing career. And but I, I always overcame, whether mm -hmm. it was in high school, whether it was in college, and in the NFL. But the only thing in the NFL, um, it was a business, and uh, I wasn't. I would say emotionally, my emotional intelligence wasn't as high as, as, um, as I needed it to be. You know, I, I needed it to be, I needed to be more resilient. I needed to understand uh, that it was more of a business and I needed to have like a mentor guide me and, 
and give me the mindset so I can understand how I should approach this. When you say it's more of a business, does that mean that there's less kind of a uh, of a connection between players, less camaraderie, uh, more ruthless? Like, w- what are the big differences between the college and the pro atmosphere? Um, yes, it's less, definitely less camaraderie. Um, it's no hand-holding. You are, it's, it's time to be, become a, a man. You know, you're, you're thrusting into this world, and you have to pick up on some skills very quickly and be very craft, uh, crafty on... on making sure that you know how to present yourself um, as a professional. Um, yes, it's it's really cutthroat uh, until you make the 53-man roster. Um, until then, it's dog-eat-dog, who's going to have a position on the team. Um, in college, um, everyone has a, has a position on the team, even the walk-ons. Mm-hmm. You know, here in the NFL, it's completely different. You know, every every year, you there's new competition coming in, faster, stronger, better, smarter, and you have to figure out where you are, um, in in these individuals. So you need to try to compare yourself to these individuals, or compare yourself to yourself, um, which allows you to separate yourself from everyone else. But the difference is the speed of the game, and also um, just understanding like the game of football uh it, it's it, in, in college you yeah you get a chance to understand this and understand that but it's coupled with schoolwork and now in the nfl it's more football 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 okay here's your life football 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 mm. now you were with the ravens i mean they're generally regarded as this kind of model franchise from the top down uh was what was your experience like being a raven oh man it was it was amazing um i would not want to go anywhere else um everything from top to bottom the 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 top office was really good the owner steve bashardi um ozzy newsom um eric de costa uh they were all incredible you know the head coach um, all the players. It was just that when you would walk into the Ravens facility, there was a type of aura of like greatness. You walk in and you hold your head up high because you knew you were you knew that you were around greatness. You had Ray Lewis, Bart Scott, Adelius Thomas, um, Ed Reed, Chris McAllister, Samari Rowe, mm. uh, Jonathan Ogden. You name it. Terrell Suggs. It was just so many great individuals in one locker room. And um, you had an opportunity to learn from everyone, uh, which allowed for you to elevate your game if you really understood uh, what you had in front of you. You know, at the time, I had the number one defense uh, um, in front of me. So my mindset switched to I get an opportunity to go against the number one defense every day. So if I get an opportunity to do that in practice, when it comes to the game, everything is going to look effortless or feel effortless for me. But to others, it's going to look extraordinary. So, you know, I pride myself on on being able to play with those guys and and show up every day and 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 play to my best ability. You know, now that you've uh, walked us through all that, I want to revisit uh, something you touched on earlier in the interview, which is 
how mindfulness helped you when your career ended. Um, so you're you're off the Ravens at this point, right? And it's just a did it, did it feel like you were stepping through a portal or something, and just were just had an entirely different identity once you weren't playing in the NFL? Most definitely, uh, man. When you leave the game on not on your own terms, it's very difficult because there was this boy that was created. See, I had a on my on my life timeline. I had a, a football was in there, and so once football was taken out without me actually marking it out of my timeline, it created a void in me, and I was struggling with understanding who I was. And I felt that I was, um, that I was ostracized. And, and, it, and it was just in my head, it was a figment of my imagination, but I just felt that way. I didn't know who to talk to. Uh, I just came off of um, IR and I've been away for some time, never really showed my face at the facility because uh, I was, I sequestered myself and was trying to figure out who I was. I was um, before I was released from the Ravens. So that pretty much uh, um, carried over into not being an NFL player. And it was more so identifying, like, who am I? I was embarrassed, really, because, you know, I didn't want to show my face. And I didn't, I didn't want people to ask me, like, what happened? You know, is everything okay? Like, you know, I, I, I saw you get drafted, and I, I knew you was about to play, but what, what happened? So um, I didn't want to face that, and I didn't want to answer any of those questions. Um, and for me, it was just trying to figure out how do you maintain that level of energy. You know, um, um, football is a, is a violent sport. So when you're let go on um, someone else's terms, uh, you're still left with this cantankerous energy mm -hmm. and you don't know where to direct it. And if you don't have the right guidance, uh, the right assistance, the right help, uh, you can definitely take yourself in the wrong direction or, or, um, or, you know, find something, uh, mischievous to get into because it's easy to do the wrong thing, but it's difficult to, to maintain, to do the right thing. Uh, and so I had to fig figure things out and had to remind myself, okay, um, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? How do I find my purpose? Right now I'm struggling. Who am I? And once I started asking myself those questions, eventually the answer started to reveal itself, but it took, it took some time. It's, I, I, it's a really interesting phrase you use, cantankerous energy. Um, is, is that like just like you're, you're addicted to the kind of phys physical contact that comes with playing in the NFL and practicing for the NFL, the collisions, the, you know, the, the, the physical release? Is that is that what you're talking about? Correct. Yes. It's a platform where you're able to release any type of anger that you have pent up inside you any type of frustration uh, where you get an opportunity to display your strength. And so. Uh, you become addicted to that because one, you have to do it day in and day out. You have to go out there some days and uh, you're in practice and your body is aching and you're like, oh man, I don't want to be out here. And you get into practice and somebody hits you 
And it's just like, ah, oh, now I have to turn it on. And so you have to you have to go from uh, being having uh, maybe a, a docile type of energy and attitude to you know, like, let's go. You, you have to get ready. And so that cantankerous energy, um, it's in you. So it becomes a habitual thing mm-hmm. where now you don't have the same platform to release any of that energy. And so now you have to figure out how to channel that energy into something else that's constructive. Uh, And it's kind of difficult to just be um, at peace and calm after you just finished playing uh, and you still have this residual energy. So you have to figure out uh, what's going to allow you to either uh, maintain that adrenaline and rush and uh, so it can exhaust itself or... um, as I mentioned before, di- redirect that energy that you have. Right on. Speaking of redirecting energy, uh, your book is called Mindfulness for the Ultimate Athlete, Mastering the Balance Between Power and Peace. To so talk to me about that title, but what does that mean? Nice. So uh, Mindfulness for the Ultimate Athlete. So I was, when I was coming up with the title, um, I wanted to teach athletes uh, the things that I've learned when I went to the monastery, uh, about being able to tap into your inner greatness, um, your inner genius. And um, I didn't want to say, I wanted to use meditation, but that's like not politically correct. You know, um, and I didn't want to turn off anybody uh, because what I realized is that what I was doing seemed, seemed it, it had a negative connotation to it. And it seemed um, very foreign for a lot of people. But I did not care about the title. It was just more so just learning um, about the skill and learning how to, you know, move forward in life. Uh, So mindfulness for the ultimate athlete, the mindfulness part came from just um, making sure athletes understand there's a level of your mind that you have not tapped into. So you need to become more mindful of it. And being ultimate is like the pinnacle of, of what an athlete wants to reach. Uh, the mastering the balance between your power and peace. Um, when we talk about power, you know, when we think about athletes, we think about power and something that we're familiar with. But too much power is very destructive. And mm-hmm. when we think about peace, you know, um, as, as I mentioned, you know, spending time at a monastery with monks, that's what you think about. You think about peace. But too much peace is, is too passive and um, submissive. And so when you learn how to master the balance between the two, then you find that neutral space where it seems um, like the zone exists. But not just the zone existing. You live into the zone and you feel it. You become it. And so I've been able to tap into the zone on the on the football field, but also at the monastery. And so I decided it was perfect for me to merge these two things so I can teach players like how to tap into the zone, get into it, understand that you're in the zone and know how to get back to the zone uh, repeatedly. Mm. Now, is something like this, you said you wanted something for athletes. Um, you know, Calvin Johnson, the great Megatron, he wrote the intro to the book. 
is how do you define an ultimate athlete? I mean, do you think this philosophy is really just for the Megatrons of this world? No, not at all. Um, it's, it's a mindset. Um, uh, how do I define it? Well, there's no one set ultimate athlete. I think we are all athletes in this game of life. But when it comes to um, the ultimate athlete, it's more so uh, all of the the pieces that come together for this individual, whether they're small, tall, big, um, um, medium size, it doesn't matter. It's it's about their mindset. It's about their heart. It's about their ability to tap into something uh, that's far beyond them, tap into their inner greatness. And yes, we all know that Megatron was a, a an, an ultimate athlete. Um, we've all had an opportunity to witness that. But uh, it, it doesn't matter your size, you know, because a Calvin Johnson comes every once in a while. But um, it's, it's about being able to go beyond uh, you know, the, 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 the levels of competition. And when you realize the ultimate athlete form is when you're in competition with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're not competing against anyone. Like you, you, you almost go out there as uh, I'm competing against humans. Oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's. And if it could help Megatron, you know, you could have that attitude of it'll help me too. Right. <laughs> do, do, do you know of any um coaches or teams that are trying to embrace this philosophy? Like trying to use it as a way to integrate it with uh, a collective sports mindset? Um, yes. So um, the Denver Broncos uh, running back coach and offensive coordinator, um, Curtis Mockins, he's definitely uh, wrote um, a, a blurb about the book, and he's also implemented, um, implemented it in his, his room, the, the running back's room, and his offense, so he gets behind the book. And the Ravens, they're definitely embracing this as well. Um, I have an opportunity to work with them. And uh, everyone is slowly jumping on the bandwagon, but they are uh, because they realize that this helps far beyond the game. Uh, and so it's also helping them set their players up for success after the game. But during during the game, uh, it's allowing you to tap in, open, open your mind up and tap into, as I mentioned, that inner greatness, or I like to call it energy, uh, not the E-N-E-R-G-Y, but the I-N-N-E-R, capital G. And so um, I think, you know, I think these um, coaches and these teams are seeing that these players need so much more to really tap into um, um, who they are and be able to continue to play at this high level. Um, so, yeah, so the Broncos and the Ravens. I mean, and, and those are two franchises that are always, you know, sort of seen as being a step ahead of the rest of the game in terms of trying, you know, new techniques and, uh, you know, building a more cohesive team unit. So. Most definitely. And if any other teams are out there, please give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Well, you've been so generous with your time. Um, is there anything else you want to add about uh, the philosophy, about about how it can help folks, and about how it's important to be able to meld, uh, you know, the athletic world and the real world, and as a way it can be like a helpful bridge between those two those two places. Yes, uh, the main thing is learn about who you are and what you can do. I think what we when, when, when we look at ourselves, we don't see ourselves as individuals. We just kind of see ourselves operating in this body and like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. But man, look what that person can do. And look what that person can do. But um, it seems like it's uh, like more of a braggadocious type of thing whenever you look at yourself or more egotistical. But it's not. Because when you start studying yourself, which is... Um, uh, human nature is observation of the self. We, we, we observe things. That's how we learn. And, um, and, and so when you start looking within yourself, you start seeing there are other things that you could do to make yourself or to improve your overall being. And I, when I wrote this, I wrote this from my spirit, from my heart to teach people that the only limits that you set, uh, or the only limits there are is the ones that you set for yourself. So stop saying that the sky is the limit. The sky is no longer the limit. If you feel that you can go beyond this, the, the sky, then do it. And remember, um, as we become adults, we, take on these roles. And the one thing that we forget is our imagination. Our imagination can take us places far beyond that we can ever imagine. So remember to keep strengthening that uh, because it'll, it will allow you to, as I mentioned before, tap into your energy, your inner greatness. And so um, for me, I just want that I want everyone to be able to realize that there's something far beyond um, far beyond us and that you have a superpower inside of you that you have not tapped into. So make sure that you do that. And also, um, keep loving yourself, you know, um, and keep a smile on your face. And when you have an opportunity to work hard, um, uh, work hard, work hard, give it all you got and learn, keep learning and cultivating, um, mastering the balance between your power and your peace. Wow. Well, very well put. Uh, before you go, Prince Daniels, I always ask folks this question on the show, uh, especially folks who write books. Like, so what kind of music do you listen to and what kind of music uh, maybe helped you through the process of putting this book together? Oh, man. So a lot of meditation music um, and some uh, international music. I, I really like like Putayama um, oh, and. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, definitely some hip hop music, uh, um, um, some pop music. It's a, you know, I, I have a, um, a variety of, of all the music that I listen to. Uh, um, man, now, now you have me thinking <laughs> about all the music that I have. Uh, um, I, I listen to everything, man. Um, anything with a nice beat and a nice groove. 
um, and some great vocals or some great lyrics. Uh, it just gets me in the mood, man. I, I resonate with the with the um, with the artists because I'm, I'm, I want to feel exactly how they made the song. Um, so you know, when I get an opportunity to close my eyes and listen to that, I I, I vibe with it. I, I can I can imagine exactly how they made this song and what they were feeling. And so when that happens, um, it's basically I'm tapping into my inner spirit to to connect with their spirit and see what they did to what, what type of energy they use to make this song, to make a, um, a masterpiece. And that, that inspires me to go and create my masterpiece myself. Uh, and, 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 you know, as I tell people, the word inspiration derives from two words, that's in and that's spirit. So we all have an inner spirit. So when you can use your in spirit to inspire someone, then you are making a difference in their life. Um, and so that is the reason why I wrote this book. I, I, I use my spirit to write this book so I can inspire other spiritual beings. Right on. Well, yo, Prince Daniels, thank you so much, man. This is a great story. It's a really impressive book. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much, Dave. Man, this is a great opportunity. I appreciate you, man. Oh, no doubt. Be well, sir. You too, brother. Uh, that was Prince Daniels, everybody. We'll be back right after this, after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. Now, we are going to talk to a favorite and a friend of the show, Coach Kevin McNutt. Coach, how you doing, sir? <laughs> Wonderful, baby. It's holiday season. Holiday season. And I'm talking to my, my main man, Dave Zion. Nice. Sounds good. So <laughs> I know there's so much that we wanted to discuss. But first and foremost, an issue that we haven't touched yet on this show that I wanted mm -hmm. to get your thoughts about, and that's Keontae Johnson. Yes, sir. In seeing this young man, this star player from Florida, he had COVID over the summer, I believe it was, and he goes down on the court, and there's it's really touch and go about whether or not he's even going to recover. Uh, mm -hmm. He's apparently making content. He Skyped with this team. His family says he's talking, but it just raises this whole issue of the NCAA and COVID in ways that's just like bright light neon. No question, buddy. No question. Dave, I was watching the game live. Around this time last Saturday, mm -hmm. the young they go to a timeout. They come out of the timeout uh, in a TV TV timeout. It's one on, on one of the ESPN channels. Come out of timeout. Then they go right back to commercial because they said a we have another injury. They come back. Then they're saying that okay, uh, Johnson's being carted off. No details, nothing. But it hit me so hard. I'm a lot older than you. I'm 112. 
Yes. Uh, uh, it took me right back to Hank Gathers, Royal of Marymount, 1990. Mm. That's what it seemed like. Okay. Um, Gathers, for those that don't know, uh, was a star player for Royal of Marymount. He collapsed early in the season. Uh, and then, you know, they treated him and he said he, he wanted to play. That's what he does in the, in the, uh, in the big West tournament it might not have been big West, but in their conference tournament, he collapsed again and died. The Royal Merriman went on to the tournament, had a nice run, Bo Kimmel out of Philadelphia and so forth and so on. But that's what, it, that's what it hit me with. Now, this is where I follow up with what you just said. The game should have been canceled at that point on. They should have just said, hey, no, no game the rest of the way. If you saw this day, the players were crying. They were un uncontrollably crying on the Florida team. Some of the Florida State players are, are, were in shock. They, 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 they were praying, all of this. Mike White, the coach, the white coach of Florida, let's play. Now, I didn't know uh, 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 the particulars of this, but I reported in Bleacher, Bleacher Report that uh, Leonard Hamilton, Florida State's coach, who is black, asked Mike White, you want to do this? You know, we don't have to continue. Mike White said yes. Then at halftime, Mike White goes, um, uh, again, Leonard Hamilton says, hey, man, we don't have to finish this. We can, we can stop right here. He says, I asked my players, and they said they wanted to play. I don't know if that's true, but it's immaterial. You are the coach. Sometimes the decision, you got to make the decision for the young men. Exactly. Say kids. I don't like saying kids. I, these are young men. And you need to make a decision and not play the rest of this ball game. They play. Now, the kid, and, and you can see from the moment, uh, uh, and this was, by the way, this was in the first timeout. So we're talking about 16 minutes of the first half. The, only four minutes have been played when this happened. So you can see in the kids, they were double minded, their spirit was gone, they were lifeless, and they went on to lose the game by 15, 15. Well, I think the final score is 12, but it was at 15. It was never in doubt. Okay. So. I'm saying, how in the world do you play this? And then it just hit me, the stark reality of, and I already knew it, but it just, this is flush, of black labor, white wealth of college athletics. Mm -hmm. You had the pandemic. We're playing in a pandemic we shouldn't be. Um, and we had these games going on, and you have these kids, that, I'm, I'm young men, that are playing this game, and... Uh, <laughs> They have nothing to do but play ball. There's no classes. There's nobody on campus uh, where they have classes. They have to study for finals. But you're doing that online. So they are quarantined. All they have to do is play ball. Now, when you have COVID and it hits, you can't even play ball. You can't even practice. But this is what these guys are going through. No Thanksgiving with their family. Uh, no Christmas with their family. And Mike White says, hey, come on, just play. Uh, sort of like the, the Lay's Potato Chip commercial. We'll make more. I mean, it just, it just hit me flush. I'm, I'm so you know I'm so glad we're talking about this because I got filled with it because it, it was it was just the epitome of black labor white wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, so now fast forward to this, Keontae goes into the hospital. He, they they induce a coma. He's recovering. He's starting to come out of it. And then Florida, in their infinite wisdom, decides to cancel a game against North Florida on Wednesday, and then subsequently turn around and say. They're, they're um, canceling three other games that are coming up. They've got to be non-conference. They're not SEC games. And I'm saying, why are you doing this now? The, 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 you know, you, you should have did this then. And AD gets out some, some uh, uh, statement saying, well, we're, we're concerned about the emotional value of the kids. What? Well, we play this game. 
on ESPN for the big dollars on Saturday while this guy's being wheeled out uh, uh, with, with nobody knows what's going on. Last thing I'll go on this, well, two things, but last thing, I'll, next to the last thing I want to mention about this, the announcers on ESPN, I thought they were uh, neg negligent in their duties. They never said anything. They never showed any remorse or thought for the kids, the kids, the young men that are playing out of the game. Never once did I hear them say, because I watched the game intently to see what was happening. No announcement was made until halftime, and he just said he's at the hospital and no details, which I can understand. The announcers were saying, uh, the game goes on, the, the kids are playing, and then when Mike White gets a technical, then the announcers say, well, you know, he's so heavy right now. He's got a heavy heart because uh, you know, his player was getting out of here, and it's a tragic thing. But not once did they say with the players, his teammates, his buddies, their comrades, he didn't say anything about the black athletes on the floor. So <laughs> the, the, the parallels here just strike me. And I don't want to leave on, all, uh, on, on this rant without telling you a positive of this thing. Thankful, preferably, Johnson's on the men. We don't know to what level where he's going to come back. He did a um, he did a uh, a tweet yesterday where he uh, thanked everybody, all the prayers that he's received, and so forth. So it's all good. But I want to tell everybody within my voice, and everybody, including you, Dave Zirin, who's got a son that can ball, mm -hmm. uh, although he's just twelve. <laughs> but the scholarship thing is is yeah, we got to get our scholarship. But parents need not celebrate uh, 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 celebrate uh, uh, and and be derelict in dotting the I's and crossing the T of what this scholarship is about. You need to use that scholarship like they're using you. Get it. Get your degree. Uh, my daughter played at Georgetown. It would not have happened if it were not for her athletic talent. So when you get these opportunities, don't celebrate and solely celebrate. It's, 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 it's a magnetismous thing to, to get that. But stay focused on the task. Understand that if this is a business, you are a commodity. Get your degree. Get your degree. Get, get your degree. And I, <laughs> I'm finished, Dave. <laughs> I got some, no, I'm I really got glad you went through all that. Huh? I'm really glad you went through all that. I mean, it's it's uh, such a, an incredibly exploitative system, right? And uh, oh, and, and just, <laughs> I mean, and that that really actually makes me angry. This idea of the coach saying, "Well, the players want to play, so they should play," because Thank you. it's like a coach is actually officially supposed to be a professor. They're a member of the faculty. Come on member Come of the on. staff and can you imagine um a bunch of students coming in and just saying like yeah well we don't want to take the test today and <laughs> a, a professor being like wow wow you didn't want to write that essay you didn't want to write that test well, you know well I, I consider myself to be a a player's coach as a professor so I mean come right. on <laughs> this is pure, unadulterated nonsense. You're the man, Dave. <laughs> you gotta call it out as such. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, I, I, I can see somebody in your audience might say, well, wait a minute, why does he make this a black and white issue? Well, it is, because at the highest level at, of, of D1 athletics in football and basketball, it is the black athlete. Now, they may say that it's, um, you know, the number is 65% of the teams are, but look, you got to take it a little bit deeper. Because in my first book that I wrote, you know, I, I, I did a survey. And in basketball, um, they're your starters, your top five, your top six, seven players are mostly black. They're 80%, 90% black players. So that's what, so when they say there's 60%, no, no, a lot of that at the end of the bench are friends of the program and guys that aren't going to play. So that's why, you know, so I'm trying to, when I say black labor, like white wealth, that's what I'm talking about. But mm. in and of itself, it's just a despicable thing for all the players and all the athletes that are out there now 
with the uh, pandemic, 3,200 people died yesterday alone, and they're playing and they're playing basketball for this for this um, uh, hundreds of million dollars that are online for the NCAA tournament, which was lost last year, and they're definitely going to get this year. Exactly, come hell or high water. Uh, yes, sir. And you know they wanted it last year too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, and look, I'm about the biggest look. What, what the NBA is to you, college basketball is to me. <laughs> and speaking of that, uh, I got some Zyron zingers for you on, on, on the NBA was kicking off next week. Oh well, perfect segue, sir. Throw them out at me. <laughs> did you tell Did you tell the folks what what Zyron zingers are all about? Well, why don't you tell them what Zyron zingers are all about? Well, Dave, Dave and I go way back. We've had uh, way back. We, well, we we were on, we were on uh, well, Dave had a show on Sirius Radio with my books. I interviewed, and Dave said, "Hey, hey, hey you're pretty good. Why don't you come on back?" And before we know it, uh, we um, I'm a sidekick on the show. So we started this uh, thing where Zyron Zingers, where I would hit Dave. I just asked Dave some questions. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. Mostly, it's, it's NBA, and then he just gives his answers to them. Uh, sometimes they're they're tough questions. Sometimes they're softballs because you know I, I try to help Dave out. And I'm, you know, I got, I got to feed him the rock. But anyway, you ready, Dave? Yes. Dave, I, this is a little different than our normal one. I'm going to do it in the in the, ES, the ESPN um, 3030 segment where they always ask you, um, what if I told you? Ah. So, you ready? Ready. What if I told you the Nets will finish in fourth place in the division and dysfunction dis, will reign supreme, similar to the Tampa Bay Bucks in the NFL? Uh, I would say that that would not shock me at all. Um, the East is stronger this year, um, deceptively stronger in many respects. Um, I think if you're talking about teams that would be necessarily ahead of the Brooklyn Nets for all their pedigree, uh, you can't sleep on the Bucks, who are going to be so much happier with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm -hmm. uh, love the new look 76ers with Doc. I think they've Doc Rivers. I think they've had an A plus off season. Mm -hmm. uh, the Celtics are the Celtics. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, one year older, looking mm -hmm. like they look. And then all of a sudden, hey, what do you know? Brooklyn Nets are fourth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I didn't even talk about some of the other teams that are giving me some excitement. So that would Miami, be Miami. Did you mention Miami? I didn't mention Miami. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I think Miami is actually going to have a come down year because I think that was a little bit fluky in the bubble. Huh. I, all of that being said. I think the idea of Brooklyn coming in fourth to me uh, behind, and yes, I'll say it again, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, that's the way I see this rumble going, going into this year. I mean, there's some bad vibes coming out of there, Dave. I mean, you know, Kyrie's talking this and then talking about we're coached by committee and, and uh, you know, Nash is one of the best ever to do it, but this is his first um, <laughs> go-around. Yeah, I mean, how can you not get deja vu of Jason Kidd in his first go-around? Uh mm. Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dave, what if I told you that James Harden will be traded to a team other than the Nets or 76ers? Um, I'd be legitimately surprised. I mean, the 76ers really? the most sense. Uh, ben Simmons makes the most sense as a piece for James Harden, if it's going to get done. But, you know, I just interviewed Chucky Brown and Mario Ellie. Yes, sir. Uh, and they seem pretty, I don't know, they seem pretty pretty set on the idea that James Harden's going to do what he's going to do, but the Houston Rockets are going to do what they want to do also. Hmm. hmm. Okay. So you think he, he will, he, okay. Right. That's cool. I got another Rockets question. Most sense. You. That's yeah. what I got to say. Right. Another Rockets question. What if I told you that John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins 
will start together. Only 25% of the Rockets games due to recurring injuries. Oh, it would depress me very much. Mm -hmm. I love those guys in college. I actually did the NBA rookie transition program and did a talk when they were rookies coming in. Mm -hmm. So I saw them all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at age 19 getting into this league with all the potential in the world. So I'd yes, like, I like the idea of them having a nice second act. Right. Right. So let's, right. let's try to make that happen, please. Okay. All right. But do you think that, uh, you know, I mean, they're coming off some, Wall hasn't played in two years with a knee and then Achilles and just uh, DeMarcus hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, no, that's true. DeMarcus is the one I'm more worried about, honestly, uh -huh. because Wall's been, all my intelligence tells me that, that Wall has been pushing it really hard. And yes, it's been 23 months since he's seen a court, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, he's doing what he's doing. You, you, yeah. you know, you know, I'm passing on, on, on that comment where you say all oh, your intelligence. That's uh, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> but, but but I move on. <laughs> oh man, you, you threw me that softball, Dave. Come on. By man. all my intelligence, I mean all of my secret spies. In the <laughs> yes, oh, I, I knew you were going there, brother. <laughs> I certainly don't mean those coming out of my brain. <laughs> I love you, boy. Okay. All right. <laughs> What if I told you, this is the, this is the one you're going to like. What if I told you the Wizards backcourt of Bill and Westbrook will combine to average over 52 points a game? I would say that's my expectation. I mm. love the way Russell Westbrook has been, apparently been looking in practice. He's apparently changed the energy in the entire building. Um, and also, you know, here's an interesting statistic. For all the talk about Russell Westbrook being this kind of amazing ball hog, look at the the people that he's played with and how well they have done scoring wise. I mean, Kevin Durant, James Harden. I mean, even people like uh, that he played with in his one year where he, where he didn't have either of those guys with him in Oklahoma. I mean, he was setting people up to be better players. I think Russell Westbrook is underrated as a guard who makes his teammates better. And I actually feel a great deal of confidence that him and Beal are going to just be um, absolutely like peas and carrots. <laughs> you eat peas and carrots, babe. Oh yeah, peas and carrots. <laughs> so do I. So so uh, delicious. Uh, of that fifty-two, okay, they're gonna they're gonna go over fifty-two points. What's their averages? To, to get uh, fifty-two. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm gonna go um twenty-seven and twenty. Beal twenty-seven, Westbrook twenty-five. Really? Okay, okay. And 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 uh, triple double for Westbrook, or maybe say what's it? Eight, no, eight, eight, eight seven rebounds. Rebound. It'll be like eight rebounds, ten assists. I mean, right. twenty five points. It'll be a very sweet year for Russell Westbrook. And you know, and that's you know, there's the old expression, past is prologue. Uh -huh. And the man is a nine time All NBA player. I feel very confident. Hmm. Okay. And the Wizards will be uh, the sixth seed. Woo! Dave Zarin coming strong. Really? There you go. Okay, brother. Okay, okay. This is how we do it. <laughs> okay, this one, this one, I have to ask, but I have to uh, put a little this, this, uh, uh, editorial comment before I hit you with it. I'm a Giannis Antetokounmpo fan, and you know I am, Dave, because I was on him. I guess maybe a second or third year in the league when he did the um, uh, the, the fivesome, where he did when he led the team in scoring, rebounding, mm -hmm. assists. Uh, block shots and steals. Is that all of them? Scoring, rebounding, assists, block yeah, shots yeah. and steals. He led the Bucks in all five. And I was preaching preaching his case there. Watch this guy. He's going to be the man. He signed the largest contract this week. But what if I told you that Anthony Davis is a better all-around talent 
than Giannis. I'd say Anthony Davis has to amp up his killer quotient by about 15% before I'm willing to have that discussion. Got you. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, that, 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 there's two knocks. He doesn't play, well, nobody plays as hard as Giannis. I mean, that, that's one of the things about it. He, uh, I mean, he just plays, if Westbrook plays hard, so does Giannis. They're, they're, they're tag team in, in that. And Davis has to ramp it up. And the other thing, which he did this year for the most part, is that he got to stay out of the repair shop. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he had a history of that. And, uh, and oddly enough, it was Giannis who got hurt and then missed the, uh, missed the playoffs while in the bubble. Well, you know, he didn't advance in the playoffs because of injury. But Dave, as much as I dig Giannis, man, and I watched Anthony Davis for the first time because it's the first time he, you know, he was into the playoffs, not on, on bottom feeder and over there in New Orleans, is that Davis can do it, man. Davis, Davis can play defense. I saw Davis out there on the perimeter. I saw him taking, you know, blocking shots in the hole. I saw Davis uh, hitting threes much better than Giannis can. I saw Davis doing something. I have yet to see Giannis, and it drives me crazy. You know, Davis can face up, one dribble and up. I have yet to see Giannis do that. I've seen Giannis stand up and take a three. I've seen Giannis go to the basket nightly. He leads the league and points in the paint. But I have not seen him look at a guy, go left or right, and one dribbling up. And so Davis' game seems a lot more polished. And I'm not sure I'm seeing outside of, like you just said, the effort. And Giannis is in the, in the open floor with the ball in his hands. He's one of the best, which gets him an MVP, but doesn't get him advancing in the playoffs. Oh, the question of who's more talented – I mean, up and down, I mean, is not difficult at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's Mr. Anthony Davis. But I think Giannis has an instinct to his game that is so unteachable. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I mean, my goodness, his journey is one of legend. Yes, sir. And it's going to be very interesting to see what he does to follow up this year. Okay. And same question with the women. What if he just keeps getting better? Giannis is 26. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, what, 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 what is Davis? Better. What is Davis? Uh, uh, Dave. I don't. I don't know. Davis has got to be in the same range, right? Um. Anthony Davis is um twenty-seven years old. Twenty-seven. Yeah. So and he's coming off of a title now. Again, he he got with LeBron. Like Giannis, if he was with LeBron, would get a title too. Um. But um. So you know, they're both there. I just. I. He needs. A, he, this. This. And I, I didn't mention the fifty-five percent from the free throw line, and, and that's that's a pet peeve of mine that just drives me crazy, uh, especially as much as he gets fouled and 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 as physical as he plays. So anyway, that's oh, let's, just before I go to the next one, where is their uh, playoff seat? Milwaukee. Uh, wait, which team? Milwaukee's. Oh, Milwaukee, number one. Number one seed in the East. Yes. Going. How much farther than that? Oh, I think they are uh, definitely conference finals. Let me just leave it there for now. <laughs> which, which, which leads to one of my other questions. Uh, a tough a tough one, but I, I got to address it. I mean, it, 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 just got to address it. What if I told you that COVID will interrupt 25% of the NBA schedule? Uh, I would say I'd be very surprised. Really? The numbers have looked very good. Um, I think there's been one positive test so far. Um, you know, I think the players learned something in the bubble. I think everybody knows the stakes. I think nobody wants to go back to the bubble. And they're the only league that sort of has that hanging over them. That I mm. think that, that's the way that's the way of the walk right there. Okay. 
Okay, good. I hope so, Dave. I hope so. But uh, okay, you know, this this is good. Um, it's taken down twenty five percent of the um, the college schedule so far, and I'm not even talking about you know uh, the football, uh, Power Five football. Um, got got here. Here's the last one that that is I mean, you may not want to answer because you didn't on the Bucks, but I got to throw it out there because it looks to me that they've improved on every level. What if I told you the Lakers are so strong? That they will have a regular winning, uh, regular season winning percentage over 80, and will cruise through the playoffs on a way to a second straight NBA title. I'm, I'm a buyer on that. I mean, <laughs> it's another year together. It's some, you know, Marcus All. I mean, yes. Center. I mean, what an upgrade that is. Yeah, I mean, Etan yeah. Etan Thomas, who I do a radio show with on WPFW, he disagrees with me about that. He thinks mm-hmm. that the Dwight Howards and JaVale McGee's were uniquely suited for this team. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm a believer in Marcus Gasol, and I'm a believer in this Lakers team. So put him down, 80%, right. 72 games. What is that? That's about 55, 58 victories uh-huh. somewhere in there. Somewhere in there, yeah. And, and so- again, you know, Le- LeBron, Le- LeBron may sit out a good portion of those just because he, you know, this is what the season ended about but 24 hours ago. Um so, yeah. but but if he if he plays, I I don't see that. So let me ask: Avery is Avery Bradley back? Yeah. yeah I mean, you know that's no you don't sleep on him. He's a very good player, a top deep one of the top defensive guards in the league. I've always liked his game. And who was the other guard they signed, Dave? I'm, I'm did they sign another guard free agents um free, free agency? Well, they re-signed Contavious Caldwell Pope. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because I know they replaced um. Ron got this kid, Taylor Tucker. Who's just looking and, and Dennis Schroeder. Yes, who was. That's what I mean. yeah. yeah, Dennis. I was trying to think of I drew a blank on his name. So I think they've improved on so many levels around LeBron. I just don't see um you know, um and and um the, the Clippers six man of the year that came over there. Yeah, Montrez Harrell. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what an indictment of the Clippers, though. You gotta say. Yep, yep, yep. Look like that uh, uh, you know. man like that go. Yes, 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 yes. So anyway, that's <laughs> you're pretty good. You're ready. I, I can tell you're ready I'm for your ready. I'm locked and loaded. <laughs> well, that's that's about all I got. You were you were in rapid fire yeah. today. No, we're ready to rumble, coach. <laughs> yes, sir. It's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports podcast. Please, I know podcasting's a little new for you, but please come back again. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on like cable I'm, I'm on demand Dave all you gotta do is holler I'll be there for you buddy Sounds good. <laughs> all right happy, happy holidays my friend you as well sir all right bye now peace we'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports hey everybody out there this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubblegum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week has got to go to the activists who fought to change the Cleveland Indians name 
and the people who fought racism in 2020 because it's all connected. This past summer saw the largest and most widespread anti-racist demonstrations in the history of the United States. Touching all 50 states, these demos sent an unmistakable message to corporations, the film industry, the art community, and of course the world of sport. The message was that there is a young generation in this country that is more diverse and less tolerant of intolerance. There is, especially in the sports world, a cutthroat competition for generation-wide dollars as social media, streaming services, and esports have emerged as economic competitors to the legacy sports of football, basketball, and particularly baseball, which has the oldest fan base of them all. Major League Baseball is now on the hunt for ways to not age out of existence. Already, Major League Baseball is constantly critiqued for its unwritten rules against exuberance, bat flipping, and what the younger generation refers to as fun. Racist branding isn't the way to connect, and its marketeers know it. But in addition to the issues of the economic concerns of the sports world, as well as the anti-racist demonstrations from the summer, we have to be aware that young Native activists have put the question of mascotting at the heart of struggles for land rights and economic justice. Their argument, which is backed by the American Psychiatric Association, is that mascotting hurts Native kids. They make the case that if a human being can be mascotted by the dominant society, it becomes that much easier to ignore their actual real-life oppression. When you couple that with pressure from sponsors who don't want to be associated with 19th century branding, it means that it was only a matter of time before the Indian's name was going to go the way of the horse and bug. And fans of the Kansas City Chiefs and Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, you're right now saying, well, that happened to them, but it's not going to happen to us. I mean, people saying that, I mean, ask Dan Snyder. Them some famous last words, and you just don't know which way the wind is blowing. It's blowing towards justice. Sit your ass down award this week. Sit your ass down. Goes to Brian Kelly, the host of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. If you haven't been paying attention to what's been happening in college football, I don't blame you. It's an oppressive COVID cesspool of injustice and decay. Not exactly something I want to do on a Saturday afternoon. But for those of you who have been paying attention, you're probably aware that Brian Kelly just said that he would boycott the college football playoffs boycott them his entire team wouldn't go to the rose bowl if it means that parents of players can't be there this is what kelly said i'm not sure we'll play in the playoffs if the parents can't be there why would we play if you can't have family at the game if you can't have families at bowl games why would you go to a game where your families can't be a part of it what is the sense of playing a game in an area of the country where nobody can be a part of it Of course, talking about the Rose Bowl, which is in California, whose COVID restrictions would mean that families can't be there because there are no ICU beds left in California. But that is not really Brian Kelly's concern. His concern is for his players being able to celebrate this such beautiful moment with their families. Now, here's the issue. And if I'm wrong about this, you know me. I'll be on my podcast saying I was wrong. But the idea that Brian Kelly would actually forego the college football playoffs because his players want their families there is the emptiest threat since 
you kids stop that or I'm going to turn this car around and go home. This is complete and total grandstanding by Brian Kelly. Notre Dame, if they're eligible to do so, will be in that college football playoffs. And I mean, I, I just am so tired of the, the pompous uh, caterwauling by these college coaches who are making millions of dollars a year and try to act pro player with statements like this when they're really objectively pro COVID. So Brian Kelly, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to our guests. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. For everybody out there listening, please mask up. Be safe this holiday season. It's dangerous out there. Stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.